morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be with you on this Sunday morning on YouTube and on Facebook. Today, we are going to shift gears. We recently finished a series called Why Church, where we explored all the questions uh, around why it is that people would choose to be a part of a church these days when so many people are leaving Christian institutions and in many cases leaving the faith in general. But we are just a few weeks away from the Advent and Christmas and Epiphany season. And so that means that, uh, as usual, at the Oceanside Sanctuary, we're going to shift over into reading from the lectionary every week, and we're going to start that today. For those of you who don't know, the the lectionary is a prescribed set of readings throughout the year that follow the Christian calendar. And the Oceanside Sanctuary, of course, is a church that in many ways is not very formal. Uh, A lot of what we do here at the Oceanside Sanctuary is very informal to emphasize the relational nature of our faith and our fellowship here at our church. But about half the year, we sort of step into that stream of our tradition that is a bit more formal and a bit more structured. When we do that beginning with Advent and generally follow that lectionary reading of scripture through to about Easter and sometimes into Pentecost. That whole season, that whole period of time, beginning with Advent and moving through Christmastide, through Epiphany and Lent and Easter and Pentecost, all those sort of high holy days on the Christian calendar are a way of telling the story of the gospel through our holidays, through our calendar, through the rhythm of our remembrances. And the lectionary is a a prescribed path of reading scripture through that calendar. And in that way, the scriptures that we read each week during this season also prepare our hearts for the gospel, tell the story of the gospel, celebrate the highs and the lows of the gospel story, and invite us to live into that story. And so today we begin that journey two weeks before Advent, Uh, And I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me. We're going to begin by entering into the Psalms for the next couple of weeks, which I think will be helpful for us as we leave behind uh, an election season that was particularly particularly charged uh, with anger and vitriol and still is. We're still in a season as a country of, it seems like, uh, suffering from the hangover of our national election. And it seems to me that as we enter into this electionary reading over the next couple of weeks, that uh, when we find ourselves in the reading of the Psalms, we have an opportunity to come to a place of being soothed or calmed uh, or uplifted from a place of suffering and pain uh, and woundedness. And so I want to invite you to join with me each week as we read through some of these lectionary passages, and I'm just going to reflect briefly on what these passages uh, say, and then as usual, I'm going to invite you to do your own reflecting on what these passages of Scripture are uh, arising in your own hearts and your own minds. But before we do that today, would you just join with me in a word of prayer? God, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for all of the ways that you invite us to inhabit the story of the gospel. We thank you for all of the ways that you invite us, not just individually, but as a congregation and as a people, 
to enter into the story of your good news. We pray now that as we enter into the season of Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, and that journey that leads us ultimately to Easter and Pentecost, that you would do a new thing in us, that we would experience this time of walking through the story of the gospel uh, in a fresh way as we do it in a socially distanced way. It's my prayer, God, that as we experience this path together over the next several months, that you would make us more resilient in the time of national uh, challenge and national crisis, and that you would bring us together at the Oceanside Sanctuary to rally around your good news. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today's lectionary reading that I've selected is Psalm 123. It's a very brief, very compact psalm, and there's a lot in it. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there, Psalm chapter 123. Uh, it's only four verses. The whole psalm is only four verses. I'm going to read all four verses, but I'm going to read through this very slowly, just a, a verselet at a time, essentially, and then offer my reflections to you and then invite you at the end to bring your own reflections to this passage as usual. If you don't have your Bible, you can go ahead and read the words off the screen. We'll put them up there for you. I'm actually gonna be reading Psalm 123 from Robert Alter's translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Robert Alter's highly regarded uh, Old Testament scholar recently published his own translation of the Old Testament. And I find his words to be incredibly uh, poetic and inspiring, which seems fitting for these poems that are meant to be sung. Psalm 123, beginning in verse one says this, to you I lift my eyes, O dweller in the heavens. And of course we often talk about God this way. We often speak about God as somebody who dwells in the heavens, who lives above, who, is somewhere up there. But of course, that is poetic, figurative language. God doesn't actually live in the sky. God doesn't live in space somewhere. God is not a, a temporal being like you and I confined to time and space. When we speak about God, we're speaking about a reality that is beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. It is our way of reaching above our circumstances and speaking of something greater. And so one of the pitfalls that we often encounter, I think, in communities of faith and perhaps in Christianity especially, is that when we read these highly figurative poetic words, these words that are meant to really lean on the power of language to spark our imagination, sometimes we make the mistake of taking those words so literally that they lose their transformative power. And so I just want to pause there and just say that this is meant to be figurative language. We don't actually pray to an old man with a white beard who lives in the sky, who's looking over whatever we do from a distance, who's disinterested and unengaged and refuses to be involved. What's happening here is that the poet in Psalm 123 is inviting us to lift our eyes figuratively to look upon that which is higher, greater, better than the circumstances that we experience in our daily lives. I love the way that the theologian James Fowler describes faith. He defines 
faith in this way. He says, faith is a relation of trust and loyalty to one's neighbors, maintained through trust and loyalty. And here's the key part in this quote, trust and loyalty to a unifying image of the character of value and power in an ultimate environment. Now that is theologian speak for God. The, the unifying image of the character of value and power in an ultimate environment. James Fowler is trying to say that the word that we use God, the notion of God, the concept of God, is a kind of image, a, place, a placeholder for all that is truly good, for character that is genuinely helpful and beneficial, for power that does not oppress, but power that helps. That's what James Fowler means by the, the, the character of value and power in an ultimate environment. It's sort of theologians speak for saying that God represents all that is good and right and true. That's what it means to have faith. And for those who are in our outgoing immature religion class right now, we're learning a bit about James Fowler and we're talking about this idea that this is what faith is. Faith is our ability to put our trust and our hope, our firm belief in all that is truly good and right and true, what transcends our circumstances, so that as we put our faith and trust in what is good and right and true, we're able to use those values, we're able to use that power for good in our relationships with each other. That's our relationships with our neighbor. And of course, we know that Jesus defined neighbor as somebody that is beyond our family, somebody that is beyond those who live close to us, but rather neighbor is even our enemy who might be in need. And so this is what the psalmist is inviting us to do in this very first verse. To you, I lift up my eyes, O dweller in the heavens. The psalmist is inviting us to raise our hopes, to raise our hearts, to raise our dreams to that which is truly good and right. As we move on to the very next passage, the, the psalmist, the poet here, is going to give us a, a vivid image of what this looks like. It says, Look like the eyes of slaves to their masters, like the eyes of a slave girl to her mistress, so are our eyes to the Lord our God until he grants us grace. Now I want to pause there just for a moment and just acknowledge that this language, this image, could be really offensive and really hurtful to many of us who would read this and wonder why it is that in Scripture they'd be utilizing an image of slaves, an image of slave girls. This is a, a poetic image that conjures up for us, especially as Americans, a terrible history 400 years ago that began with the enslavement of black people who were imported here from Africa, kidnapped from their families and their communities and brought here and violently uh, put to work on behalf of a nation that was just beginning to build itself and exploited the labor of black people in order to become a healthy and wealthy and prosperous nation. And now 400 years later, we are still dealing with the consequences of that great sin and so for especially those of us in America, and especially those of us who are uh, of color, this would be a particularly difficult passage to read. But what I want to suggest to you is that uh, this passage is being written from a very particular perspective by a very particular people 
who lived in a very particular place a couple thousand years ago. This is not a passage written by a, an elite, powerful person who enjoys the privileges of wealth and power. This is a psalm that is written by an ancient Near Eastern Jewish poet. And as an ancient Near Eastern Jewish poet, this person is drawing upon a very particular history because, of course, the Jews themselves were a hated and reviled and oppressed and, yes, an enslaved people in their past. And so this passage here is not meant to evoke a sense of shame or a sense of guilt or a sense of righteous anger in Americans in the 21st century. Instead, the poet is evoking that the very history of the Jews themselves. Look, like the eyes of slaves to their masters, like the eyes of a slave girl to her mistress, so are the eyes of the Lord our God, our eyes on the Lord our God, until he grants us grace. What the poet is doing here is using a neat little uh, literary device called parallelism. In the first line of this passage where he writes, look, the, the eyes of the slaves to their masters, like the eyes of a slave girl to her mistress, the poet is using parallelism to expand the notion of those who are connected to God. First, in that first line, referring to the male form of slaves, and then in the second line, referring to the female form of slaves. What the poet is doing here is expanding the notion of those who lift their eyes up to God to literally include all people. Because by including both the male form and the female form, literally every gender is included in those who lift their eyes up to God. And by including the very lowliest members of any society, literally those who are enslaved and oppressed, by including them in the group of people who are lifting their eyes up to God, the poet is literally including every strata of society. And also at the same time, evoking this very powerful image of a people who are desperate for relief. Because who would be more desperate for relief than those who are oppressed and enslaved in any particular society? These are the people who lift their eyes up to those who are in power with hopeful expectation. And that is the other thing I want you to notice about this particular phrase in this second part of this psalm. It says, so are our eyes to the Lord our God until he grants us grace. This is no quiet or meek petition by the slave to the master. This is a kind of steely resolve. This is a kind of persistent supplication to the person who has power on behalf of the person who is suffering, on behalf of the person who is in need. These slaves aren't just lifting their eyes to their master in the hopes that they will receive something good. These slaves have decided that they will receive relief, that they will receive something good. Therefore, they have lifted their eyes to their master until he grants us grace. There is that sort of almost defiant persistence evoked by the phrase. And what is it that they are tired of? What is it that has driven them to this place of seeking relief? We find that in the last part of our psalm. If you would turn with me there now, the psalmist writes, Grant us grace, Lord. Grant us grace. 
For we are sorely sated with scorn. Sorely has our being been sated with the contempt of the smug and the scorn of the haughty. Here's what they're tired of. Here is what they have decided they can no longer stomach. Here's what they've decided they just can't take any more. They can't take any more scorn. They can't take any more contempt. They can't take any more the, the intolerable smugness of those who are oppressing them. Here's the sort of image I, I love in this passage of them having feasted so much on scorn, feasted so much on contempt that they have had their fill and their souls are sort of sick because they have overindulged in the scorn and the contempt and the smugness that for whatever reason has arisen in their society. And that just makes me think so much of us today. The image here is almost like the image of people who have gathered around the table and they have feasted just like on Thanksgiving Day when you eat so much that at the end of the day that you think you're going to be sick. The image here is of people who have engorged themselves on something that is literally making them sick, sick in spirit and sick in soul. And it occurs to me that this is very much what our culture feels like right now. We have eaten our fill of scorn. Our souls are sick with contempt. And so we look to the God of grace for mercy. Would you look to the God of grace for mercy today? If you, like me, are, are, are sick from overindulging on the scorn and the smugness and the contempt that comes along with our election season every two years, I just want to invite you to reflect on these words from Psalm 123. And with me, lift your eyes up to God. Lift your eyes up to that which is good and right and true and ask God to come and give us grace and mercy today. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity to feast on your word, to receive grace and mercy from you. We ask that you would heal us, that you would cure us of our unhealthy appetites and that you would rescue us by your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. It's Alex and I've got a few couple quick announcements before we head off. So the first is, is if you're new, as always, we'd love to connect, we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to just welcome you to what we're doing here. So head on over to oceansidesanctuary.org slash contact, fill out a little form there, and then we will be in touch with you. Next is the brand new launch of our spiritual care team, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, this is something uh, I've been working with the staff on and with key volunteers and developing something brand new for you all because we know that times are tough right now. We know that some people are experiencing loneliness. Some people don't have anyone to talk to. So it's really simple. We just are going to reach out to you 
every month via a text or a phone call. Our volunteers are gonna be in touch and they're just gonna check in, see if you need anything, and ultimately, hopefully, build a better relationship and a connection and just make sure that everyone is being taken care of during these times. So if we don't have your number and you'd like to be on that care list, you can visit oceansidesanctuary.org contact, put in your number and we'll be sure to put you on that list. Next is call and response is happening on November 19th at 6.30 p.m. And call and response is our regular uh, scripture study. This month we're studying the book of Philippians. And one of the best things about this group is actually there are small groups emerging from this larger group. So this is actually a great way to get to know people beyond just the one-off connections. This is a great way to continue the conversation. And that's really what this group is about, having a conversation around these texts, not you know coming to get the right answer or learning the way you know the pastors think about it. It's really a community dialogue. So we'd love to see you there at our next call and response at November 19th. Lastly, we have the holiday seasons approaching and we're wanting some families to do some fresh, fun recordings for us during the Advent season. So it's gonna be really simple. I'm gonna help you uh, do some recordings where you're gonna light the Advent candle, say a little prayer, we'll send you everything you need. But if you'd like to be involved in that, in those recordings, Reach out to us again, oceansidesanctuary.org slash contact, and we'd love to get you involved and get you in these services. And lastly, if you believe in the mission here, if you believe in what we're doing here at Oceanside Sanctuary, we are a nonprofit 501c3, and we rely on the gifts of people just like you. So you can simply go to oceansidesanctuary.org slash give, and make a gift if you'd like to continue supporting our mission here at Oceanside Sanctuary. All right, everyone, we'll have a beautiful week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week right here on Facebook and YouTube. See ya.